truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Now just hold on there for a second, though, because that's a big statement. I really think this is a summary of the whole gospel of John. And John likes to repeat himself a lot. If you abide in my... Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you, if you make my word your home, if you, if you pitch a tent and reside there and just let it soak it in, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you abide in the word of God, if you abide in the words of Jesus, if you make your home there, you'll be his disciple. You'll you'll know the truth. And we'll talk more about what that actually means. You'll know the truth and you will be set free. You will no longer be in bondage. You will no longer be a slave. As you know, I was recently sick, and I am so thankful for your prayers. I'm so thankful that many of you preached the gospel to me in those moments and were encouraging to me, and here's what it was. It was just all we know is we think it was a summer flu. Yeah. Being sick in this pandemic, though, at least for me, is not being sick normal. It's not being how you're normally sick. I just, you just kind of manage it. It's not how it is in a pandemic. Normally when I'm sick, I can actually manage my sickness well. I, I'm pretty self-confident in how I know my body and how to care for myself. And it doesn't mean I'm stubborn and don't go to the doctor. I, that's not true at all. I, please, I will pop medications, right? Uh, I was on a pretty uh, rigid uh, thing of Advil and Tylenol to get my fever down. I know how to manage my issues for the most part. I know how, uh, uh, when I can't manage and when to seek help, normally, this is normally the case. I know about when I can't breathe and when I struggle with that, right? But 2020 hasn't been very normal, has it? My body hasn't felt that bad, and I can't remember and even before I had a fever, my body ached from head to toe, and I knew, like, I am not well. And then I had the chills that would not, you know when you get chills when you have a fever? I had chills that would not go away. Like, just constant. No ebb and flow. Body ache and chills, and then fever, and then, I, like, I knew I wasn't okay. So I went to get tested for COVID, and then this kept getting worse and worse. And I was on, like, three hours. I had the Tylenol, boom, boom, boom. You know, like I'm, and my fever peaked. So I called at night because the little COVID test I took said, if your fever peaks at 102, you should call your doctor. So I called my doctor at 10 o'clock at night, and the nurse calling nurse tells me, you need to go to the ER. Now, normally I would never go to the ER for a fever of 102. I would, know, I would take a lot of things on how to manage that, but I was already trying to manage that, and it wasn't working. So in a fever-riddled mind... I was frustrated, I was angry, I was annoyed, but like, what do I know? What do I know about COVID? I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the ER. I did not want to go to the ER. At this point, right, it's, if you just ask Jesse, if I'm tired, I'm not very rational. If I have a fever and tired, I am not rational at all. And so in my fever-riddled, tired mind, I lost it. 
fear struck, anxiety struck, sadness crept in, because in my mind, like, I have COVID. I'm a high-risk person. Diabetes and asthma. If I go to the hospital, I'm not coming out. I will not see my wife and kids again because they can't come into the hospital to see me. So there was a sense of doom and dread as my wife drove me to the hospital. So in that car ride down, and as I arrived at the hospital, I began to tell Jesse, I need to tell you a few things. Thoughts and words that she needs to hear in case I don't speak to her again, in case I don't see her again. And then thoughts and words to tell my kids. Things that they need to know from their dad. I'm not sure Jessie was too excited that I was telling her this. In fact, I think she was pretty annoyed. After 10 hours of waiting, by the way, for those that have complained, and I just can't wear a face mask for that long. 16 hours I wore a face mask in that hospital straight. You can do it for an hour. <laughs> you can do it. After 10 hours of waiting in the waiting room, they got me in, and I was able to see two doctors actually came to see me separately. And both of them were pretty convinced, oh, you probably have COVID. But both of them looked at me like, why are you in the hospital? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want to be here. Your nurse told me to come down here. So they said, and this is what, you're, you can treat your symptoms just as effectively as we can treat your symptoms. Because here's the reality. There are no treatments for COVID. And trust me, with tears in my eyes, I talked to those doctors. And I asked them about every treatment you heard or have heard, and probably some that you haven't heard, because I was looking them up. What are the treatments that you have? Everyone that you've heard in the news. And here's what he said. Most have not proven very effective at all, and you don't qualify for them because really the only people that qualify them are people that are in severe respiratory distress. And praise God, I was not. Praise God, I was not. And says so some of the treatments that you have heard, like they are, if I take them, if I'm not in severe respiratory distress, they actually will cause quite a bit of harm to me. That kind of struck me. That was sadness. Like, what I was thinking, hey, we can get ahead of this thing. We can tackle this thing, and I don't have to worry about it, right? And that's not the news. The doctor said, just go home. So one aspect, I was excited. I, I get to go home. I get to be home. And at least I could talk to my kids. I get to see them. Even though I was quarantined, I could see them through a sliding glass door, and I could talk to them. Couldn't touch them. I couldn't touch my wife, but I could speak to her, and I could see her. I couldn't hug them or kiss them, but I was there. But in the midst of that, I was still lonely. You're still lonely. The people closest to me, I can't touch. I can't be with them. I can't hug them. Here, here's my point. It wasn't just the realization or the idea that I might not see my family or the idea that I might die that put me in that sadness. But it was the idea almost immediately on that drive down to the hospital 
that I've wasted a lot of my life. That I've failed my kids in multiple ways. That I have failed my God. That I have prioritized the wrong things in my life. That I've held on too tightly temporal things instead of eternal things. It's not like I haven't thought about that before. I have. But in that moment, you realize, I might not have any other chances. That I spent too much time worrying and talking about things that have no eternal consequence. That I hold on too tightly to foundational pillars in my life. Things that I thought were foundational pillars in my life that just were not. That are not. That aren't eternal. That will crumble. And that will fall. And the realization in that moment, I don't know if you've had those moments where you realize things that you just hold on as constants or truths in your life and they crumble, well, that's a little shaking to you. That shakes you at your core. I'm not talking about wavering in my faith in Jesus, but the realization that I also put my faith and my love and my passion into too many other things as well. Or that my faith and love for other things is equal to my faith and love in Jesus. Even for my wife and kids. That the reality is, the way I live my life and act in my life, that those loves are equal. But they're not. They shouldn't be. They can't be. They never will be. Jesus is first. Jesus is preeminent over all. In fact, I cannot have any lasting love for my wife, for my kids, for you, for my neighbors, unless I have the understanding that Jesus loves me and that I love him. although not always so well. What dreadful realization. What a dreadful place to be. But what a gift that God gave me in that moment. A gift to anticipate priorities. As we, we're going to enter in our capital campaign, we're going to kick it off next week, and then in a month from now, we're really going to dig deep into this, that this anticipate, that we eagerly await God. That God is active in our world. He's active in our life every day. That he is present always, whether we're present with him or not. That we're going to eagerly await to see what he's doing and, see, and what he's going to do. And that's not passive. That is not passive. Waiting requires some action in our life. Waiting requires love, preparation, and in this campaign and in this moment and as we go through the gospel of John, it is a gift to know that all of us need to reprioritize our thoughts. That all of us need to reprioritize our words that we speak. And we need to reprioritize our actions. And all of them needs to be reprioritized around our love for Jesus. And his love for us.
to abide in his word is to abide in his love and to know the truth. And that truth began to set me free. Again. And it will do it again and again and again. And my hope is it will do it with you too. Today we begin and dive into a new series, diving into the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Uh, It is written by one of Jesus' closest friends on earth. John, the son of Zebedee, brother of James. Right, this, the beloved disciple, as John actually calls himself. And unlike the other Gospels, the three others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is not primary focus on historical accounts. It's not that John isn't historical. It's just not his really what he wants to get hammered for. You know, Luke is set out like, I want to tell you a detailed historical account about the life of Jesus. What John wants you to know is who Jesus is. He wants you to introduce who Jesus is. And this book is highly Christocentric. It is focused all around Jesus and who he is and what he has done. I mean, the other Gospels do that, but John just really hammers that home. This is really a detailed theological book that's really explaining, hey, this person, this human is also God. They're one and the same. John is the one that really begins to outline in clear forms the Trinity for us, the Godhead. And there's two parts as we go into the gospel, kind of broken up into two major parts of the gospel of John. The first half of the gospel of John is really just telling you who Jesus is and his miracles. Performs a lot of miracles. There's There's miracles in the second half. But the second half of the book is a long, extended description and dialogue of the passion of Christ, of the cross, of what Jesus has done and is doing for us, about how he saves, how he takes on our sins and gives us his righteousness, how he defeats our enemies, death and sin and the evil one, and gives us life. The gospel of John is clear. It's about Jesus. The gospel of John is telling the gospel is Jesus. It's all about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And listen, the Gospel of John, is, there's a huge, lots of big monologue of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, there is, if you talk about red letters, the whole Gospel of John is pretty much red letters. Jesus, talk, I mean, all the, all the Bible from beginning to end is Jesus' words. I don't know if you know that or not. It's Jesus' words. But these are direct quotes from his life on earth. Of what he says. And there's a lot of repetitive images and themes in John. In fact, so repetitive that you're going to hear the same sermon over and over again. Because this is what John does. He gives us this gospel over and over again because he's trying to make us understand who Jesus is. Hold tightly to Jesus. In the midst of all this, the question I began for us today and I had for myself in my sickness, and I think the gospel John wants us to understand, is what pillars need to fall in your life? 
what, what foundational truth, truths that you think are foundational in your life, what things that you think you know are true or you just think are constant in your life that you know in your heart need to fall? That they need to tumble? That they need to be torn down so Jesus can set you free? What temporal things are you cherishing over eternal things? What so-called truths do you need to be set free from? In philosophical terms, objectivity, objectivity is the concept of truth independent from individual subjectivity. So, to, uh, objectivity would be independent from bias, from perception, emotions, imagination, experience, sin. It seems pretty hard to be objective, isn't it? So, objectivity is, the proposition is considered to be objective truth. When all the conditions are met and the removal of bias by a sentient being. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because I don't want to freak you out. Listen carefully, because this is orthodox biblical truth. This is foundational truth. There is objective truth. Can you, can you all say that with me? Because I want you to understand what your pastor is saying. There is objective truth. And you can use absolute truth if you want that. But here's the thing. You and I cannot know it objectively. You and I cannot know the objective truth objectively because what did I just say? The definition of those things. The removal of all bias. Can you remove sin? Can you remove the perceptions? I mean, the point is that we are finite beings and our brains are more limited than we think they are. And so for us to perceive objective truth objectively, it is not possible. That, does that mean there's not objective truth? No. There is objective truth. But we need some humility, don't we? In our perception of that. There is absolute truth. But we need to understand our limitations in understanding truth. We need to understand our finiteness. We need to understand our, what our emotions are. We need to understand our total depravity that limits our ability to grasp, hold on to, and understand objective truth. I believe and I know that there are factual propositional truths. Did you hear me say that? I, I just know they are. But I know I am limited, and so are you, and understanding objectively those factual truths at times. Because I can't remove all those biases in my life. In fact, I can't even be aware of all the biases in my life. Truth is bigger than you and I. It's bigger than you and I. This objective truth that we all seek after. And I think we should seek after it. I'm for the pursuit of objective truth. But we need to be humble as we pursue it. Because we have to understand that we have biases. And here's the point I want you to understand. Because we as humans are finite and limited, this is the philosophical truth that we have kind of learned, right? That 
the understanding of all truth and our reason and our rationale and our logic, all of human logic and understanding is circular. It doesn't mean we can't actually understand objective truth, but all of our understanding and reason and logic and rationale, it all, if you boil it down, becomes circular. Foundationally circular. And that, I want you to understand, that is the point. God has created a universe in which you and I are finite. He didn't create us infinite beings. He didn't create us with his mind, as if we could grasp that. Philosophers, theologians, people have been trying to grasp and understand the relationship between reason and truth and faith since the dawn of humanity. How do these all work together? Plato believed all knowledge was a memory of the eternal. There's something beautiful about that. Right? There's, just, there's something deeply implanted in all of us that there's, there's a memory of this eternal that it evokes. And so when we, uh, when we get onto these objective truths or truths, any truths, it's the memory of the eternal. I don't think Plato was right, but I think it's beautiful. Aristotle, which most of us actually kind of live by, which whether you realize it or not, most of us are pretty modern people, gives us rules to which we would understand and attain knowledge by reason. So logic, really the foundation of logic, which, by the way, ends up all being circular, is my point. I think the methods of Aristotle, those are great. I, I ought to, we ought to pursue reason and logic to understand our limitations. Descartes, right? Descartes, what did Descartes say? I think, therefore I am. He is the modernist Philosopher, right? Rationality and all knowledge and truth requires no faith. There is no relationship. It requires no trust. It's built on an individual's person to reason and to know the truth. That's, this is the modern mindset that has lasted up until the 20th century. Do you understand his, the problem with that? He has no understanding the frailty of humanity. The limitness, right, that, that we are finite and we cannot understand all things in our mind. We cannot under grasp the infinite God. We cannot even grasp the infinite, this, this universe and all the truths that are in it. We, because of our biases. The problem is because of our subjectivity. We cannot fully understand things that are objective. Does that mean there's things that are that there's not objectivity? No. Does that mean we can't actually understand it? No. But there's a way. Right? What's taken to the extreme, right? If you take it to the extreme, that we can't understand objectivity, or that, we, that it's all subjective, that's the postmodern mindset. And that is equally as problematic as the modern mindset. And all of us kind of fall into this in both ways, kind of more modern or postmodern mindset. But the answer to obtaining objective truth is not found in reason or rationality or science or subjectivity. But I would say, pursue those things. Those are good things because you could come upon truths. Just know that you can't not know them objectively. You could come on to the objective truth, and those are things that excite me. I gravitate to those things. If you're articles, I want things that are rational and reasonable and scientific. I love 
those things. Even though I know I'm not even close to intelligent enough, you don't know, infinite enough to understand those things. But those are the things that my mind gravitates to. Those are good things to pursue and to pursue truth in those things. But just know that we are limited. Scripture gives us a clear understanding that all rational and reason and understanding, all creation, all truth, all human knowledge and reason is founded on faith. Faith in our senses, faith in our memories, faith in our accounts and events we receive from others, faith in our ability, to act, our minds to actually understand things. But we have to understand that our mind, that way we perceive things, is limited. Truth is not a proposition. Truth is not rationality or reason, or scientific understanding. I mean, we can pursue truth in those ways, and we can know things in those manners, and we should. God gives us a mind to understand things in those ways. But understand it's all circular, that it's limited. Those are all great and good pursuits. But because of our limitations, we cannot know the objective truth objectively. And this is the good news. This is the good news that the Gospel of John is screaming out to us. And I want you to understand it throughout as we read the Gospel of John. Truth is not those things. God has set up a universe in which there's finite people and finite creatures, and he's the infinite one. And truth is not found in those pursuits, but it's found in a person. I mean, this is radical. All of knowledge and truth that we understand is based on faith in ourselves and understanding. In our ability to do it. God has set up a universe in this way. This is actually absolutely amazing. And then the reality and what scripture clearly says is that truth is not those things. Truth is a person. Truth is God. And more specifically, as the Gospel of John says, Jesus says, I am the truth. It's not a proposition. He says, it's truth personified. And what does Jesus say? What is the foundational thing in how you relate to God? How do you know truth? You believe in it. You trust in it. God has set up a universe in which all knowledge is based on our ability to trust and our own ability to understand any of those propositional things. And the foundational thing, what is truth, is God, is Jesus. And in the midst of that, he says, here's what you need to do. Trust. And we think, well, that's just blind faith. Hey, everything is. Because we're limited. And God says, trust in me, I am a person. In John 18, 37, 38, Jesus before Pilate. And then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For that purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Did you hear that? To this purpose, he's come into the world to tell people the truth. To reveal the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
that goes back to John 8, right? Abide in my word. Abide, make, make my voice, make my words your home. And you will know the truth. And here it is, Jesus says it again, right to Pilate. Everyone is of truth listens to my words. Listens to my voice. And then Pilate so densely and ignorantly says, what is truth? Do you understand how blind Pilate was? There it was. The eternal truth. The objective truth. The absolute truth. He's having a conversation with truth. And he does not recognize it. He does not comprehend it. He does not grasp it. And Jesus basically tells him that it is. I'm truth. And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him. <laughs> he doesn't say, I found the truth. He says, I find no guilt in him. I, I don't know what to do with this guy. In John 14, 6, of course, we know Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Truth, objective, absolute, personified. The author of all truth. What pillars need to fall in your life? Where do you need humility? And we, we hold on to certain foundational truth or constants in our life, ideas, viewpoints, maybe even political ideologies, maybe even ideas of economic systems, that this is just the way that they are God-given, God-blessed, God-ordained truths, and we fight for these things and we can't, which we cannot even objectively know. All of us will fight for conspiracy theories. We like them. We like to think of these outlandish, these, these mysteries in our life of how things run. Assumptions we make. We claim them as truth and things that we don't understand and we can't understand. And we don't understand why people don't understand our truth. Why don't understand the truth that we just know for fact that's true, that's foundational. And we fight for them. And all of those truths, I want you to understand, all of those truths that which you just think are based on faith. Because that's the way it works. But the only eternal one is Jesus, who's truth personified. And how, how do you know Jesus? How do you know that he's the truth? It's by faith. But here's an incredible thing, because God reveals it to you. Because the one who is truth gives you the ability to understand it. Otherwise, you would never have. I actually think this is how I understand all things. Like, all, like, I just get this epiphany. Like, I finally get it. Like, there's times when I think I have figured out the Trinity. Like, I, I, oh, get it. I, I got to get to the computer. I got to write this down. And then it goes. Like, what happened? Those are incredible thoughts. Because I, I, cannot, I cannot grasp that. I cannot grasp everything you need to know about truth and the, the, everything you need to know about God has been revealed to you and you can grasp. Does that mean you know everything about God? You can know everything about God? No. But everything you need to know and can know, God reveals. And that's the purpose of the Gospel of John. 
Scripture tells us quite something different about ourselves. We need to know who we are. We need to know our frailties. We need to know our shortcomings. We need to know our depravity. We need to be humble. And we need to know the greatness and the infiniteness of the incredible God who is truth. And the purpose of the gospel of John is that we know this truth. More specifically, that we believe in this truth. John 20, 31, that we have faith in this truth. This is the end of John, right? This, this beginning of this epilogue. But these are written so that you may believe. This book has been written so that you may have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. And that believing, having faith in him, you may have life in his name. And he's not just saying temporal life. He's saying eternal life. That if you know this truth, if you have faith in the one who is truth, you will be set free and have eternal life. You will be eternal, not temporal. John writes this gospel so that we may believe and have faith. This is the purpose of why we exist as a church. So we can help spread this good news so that others may believe. Walk in the light of men. Walk in the gospel truth. Walk in this revealed truth that Jesus is the truth and that he gives us life. All truth, all knowledge, all reason, all rationality is based on faith. And even knowing him. Isn't this incredible? God creates this universe like, why are you surprised that he actually says believe in him? He doesn't say, rashly understand me. Trust me. Because that's the foundation of all our knowledge. Trust. Trust in the one who is truth. The truth who is Jesus. Who is God. That's the pillar that's the foundation to life. Truth is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. We need to trust in that pillar. That pillar will never fall. That pillar will never stumble. It will never be torn down. I believe in absolute objective truth. I believe in the pursuit of that. I believe in using my finite mind and pursuing all kinds of great truths and trying to understand them. God creates us that way. God creates us to be uh, wanting to know those things. But I also know my limitations to understand my frailty. And I believe God is the truth that's been revealed to me. The word is truth, his voice. And I want to be humble enough to know that I struggle and easily can distort that truth. Even that truth, the gospel, I can distort. It's actually why there's so many denominations. There's one church, but there's so many denominations and sometimes interpretations of scriptures. And I'm not saying all those are equally true, but I'm saying I understand why there is because I know I can distort it and do it. It doesn't mean all those things are true. I just know that we need to stay humble, we need to be diligent in our study, and we need to read his word. I think we can know the things that God has revealed, and I think scripture is clear on many things. And we ought to be clear on those things. We still need to be humble. 
Most of you know who we are, broken people. Believe in the pursuit of truth via lots of different methodologies, observation, reason, etc. But I know those are ultimately false pillars based on a fragile sense of self, a faith in myself. I have faith that Jesus is the truth, that Scripture is clear on who he is. That is a faith that is not based on me, but it's based on God, a God who reveals it. The God who wants me and who wants you to believe and to trust in him. Who reveals himself. Truth revealing truth. That is the purpose and message of the gospel of John. Believe in Jesus. Believe that you may have eternal life. At the very beginning in this prologue, which we'll talk about next week, this prologue, which we began, we began to read, read this morning, right? Jesus, it talks about Jesus, the author of all life. And the end of the Gospel of John, it becomes very clear and in the middle and all that, that Jesus is not just the author of life, he is the giver of eternal life. Not just temporal life, but eternal life. And that's what he ultimately wants to give us when we trust in him. John 17, 3, Jesus says in this high priestly prayer to the Father. He says, and this is eternal life. Now, now we should, ears peek up. Like, Jesus says this is eternal life. What is he talking about? I want to know what eternal life is. This is what he says. That they know you. He's talking about to the Father. <laughs> but I want them to know that this is eternal life, Father. That they know who you are. And the only true God and me, Jesus. I mean, he calls it, he refers to himself in third person, but we'll forgive him for that, right? right? He says that this is eternal life, that they know the Father and they know the Son, and we know the only way we know the Father and the Son is through the Spirit. This is eternal life, that we have intimate, personal, relational, covenantal knowledge of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we go through this gospel together, let Jesus set you free. Let the truth set you free. Let Jesus topple the pillars of your subjective truth. Let Jesus reprioritize the preeminence of anything but him in your life. Let Jesus read the words of this gospel to you so that you may have the light of men eternal life, that you may believe and know him, the absolute and objective truth. Let us pray.